Kara, who on Radio 3 with Cat's Pyjamas, which is coincidentally the perfect track to welcome back our vet, Dr David Getting. How are you? <laughs> what, a, what a leader that is, Phil. How are you doing? Not too bad at all. I thought, Dave, we should cross the wires a little bit. Um, vaccination is a massive topic in Hong Kong, as you know right now. I thought we should sort of do it from the four-legged angle. I think I'm interested in things like reactions and all of the above, the stuff that people are talking about now with human vaccinations. Anything yeah, pretty, on your mind? Yeah, it's pretty topical, right? I mean, I, I sort of tuned into the radio this morning and, and listened to the news and they're talking all about this sort of person who's had a potentially bad reaction and so forth. And it seems like there's... Um, unfortunately, the poor man, he was quite sick from other things. Maybe it's not related, but this is always the thing that happens with vaccinations is that, you know, uh, people get worried about side effects or after effects or, 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 or this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I guess I would say, I mean, I can only speak about dogs and cats. I don't know anything about people, but I'd say with dogs and cats, the stuff we're vaccinating against the diseases are much, much, much bigger risk than any side effects would be. So I'm, 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 I mean, my own dogs and my own cats are vaccinated. So that's where I stand. Are we comparing apples and oranges here? I'm just interested in the whole topic, but am I? Uh, Look, I think the thing is when you take a vaccination, like when you take any form of medicine, um, you know, there is a small, small chance that something will happen. Like you'll have an allergic reaction or you'll, you'll have some kind of adverse reaction. To put it in perspective, and again, I only speak for dogs and cats kind of stuff the rate of adverse reactions is absolutely minuscule. You know, it's extremely, extremely rare to see one. Um, most times when I do see an adverse reaction, um, and I might see maybe one a year, one every two years, yep. it's something like the, you know, after the vaccine, the cat becomes really itchy and scratches the skin for the day or, or the dog's vomiting or got an upset stomach or something like that. It's yeah. not normally a, a disaster. Okay, okay. Yeah. So you, I mean... Two types of two, well, loosely two types of vaccination. The things that you're going to have de rigueur when when we're puppies and babies, and the things like what's happening in the human world now, where we never expected this. When do you start kicking in with vaccines you rather not be giving to to animals? Yes, there's been there's been a, a huge amount of debate on this lately about how often we should be vaccinating. You know, because we want to vaccinate enough, but you don't want to vaccinate too much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What, ha- so, what happens if you do? Quick sidebar. What happens if you do? Well, Does it just guess, kill the efficacy? If you if you over vaccinate, it's not. Uh, it, it doesn't make the vaccine less effective, but you're giving more medicine than you need to give. Yeah. And we don't want to do that if you don't have to, because there is this very very small chance of side effects. Um, you know, you want to minimise that chance as much as possible. So, you know, we. Uh, I guess the 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 big one that's come up lately is moving from one-year vaccines, maybe some dogs and cats don't need vaccines every year, maybe some animals need them every three years, depends on the individual. Um, And I'd say we do have to be a bit careful because if you're a dog living outside, walking in the country park, hanging out with lots of other dogs at the dog park, you probably need vaccines more than if you're a a dog living on the, the, in the penthouse flat who never goes outside. Uh, you know which I mean? is which it's is a... which is um it sounds wonderful for the dog living well not in the penthouse because he can't go walkies all the time but uh, is it better to be cosseted or street savvy? I'm sure that each <laughs> each side would give you their own opinion sure. on which one is better. Um, you know, I do I do see dogs that never go outside. Um, I don't know that's a good thing. Like like you know, if you had a human who never goes outside, I think after a while you can become a little bit. You know, I don't want to say cabin fever, but it sort of affects your behaviour. Um, and it's, there is that. Dogs like, dogs like people, they need to go out, they need to socialise, hang out with other dogs. It is important. Yeah, yeah. All right, then. Well, well I, either way. I mean, um, 
I know you, you can't really comment on, on vets around the world, but I think my human doctor friends will say perhaps that some of their colleagues are a bit uh, needle-happy <laughs> when it comes to <laughs> these things. And this is why I think every case we have to look at, and, you know, I will see people and someone will say to me, look, I've got a cat, he never goes outside, but I really need to vaccinate him. And you'll sort of say, look, maybe maybe once every three years. I think maybe, I would. To be honest with you, maybe not at all in some cases. Yeah. Um, but in most animals, I'd say every three years is a good idea. The other thing that's really important is some vaccines last three years. Right. Um, some of them, like, say, the leptospirosis one, which is a really, that's that sort of rat-borne disease, or the heartworm injection, they only last a year. So but when you say they only last, what happens? Does the thing have a half-life or something and it just... Dissolve, yes. Or... So they're two slightly different shots. The the heartworm shot is actually medicine, and that slowly gets used up over the year. It's actually a drug that gets slowly metabolized over the year. Um, the leptospirosis injection is a vaccine. Yeah. That sort of boosts your immune system, and your immune system gets all tough against lepto. Um, but the immune system seems to forget about it after a year, whereas some some of the things like say rabies it lasts for a much longer time. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, then. So um, we turned back the clock a few months and we were talking about the possibility of this current thing, jumping species and this, that and the other. Are you doing anything as a, as a procedure now just to uh, take care? So, I mean, as far as it goes with, with uh, worrying about COVID and animals, yeah. I, I must admit, for me, I'm not too worried about that as far as, you know, a few months ago, we were a bit unsure. Sure. Um, we thought things looked okay, but we weren't 100% sure. These days, my feeling is the evidence is, is pretty strong that we're not really at high risk of catching so far. COVID from pets at all. Um, you can do COVID tests on animals, and uh, some of the labs do offer COVID testing for, for, for pets, but that's only something that I've ever seen done in a few cases where animals traveling overseas and the next country required them to have a COVID test just for the rules. I think you probably have to be very careful talking about this because one minute something like this hits the news, we start finding abandoned and dead pets, which is not what any of us want. Yeah, look, so to, to be clear about it, I am not at all worried about catching COVID from any patient I see, uh, any, any cat or dog patient I see. Um, you know, I think there's, there's no risk there at all. All right, then, let's turn the page. I've got something I want to ask you about. There's an article in USA Today, and it's talking about flea collars killing pets. Tell me about that. Okay, so this has been, this has been super hot news at the moment. We've got lots of, lots of inquiries. Um, uh, one, one of the American magazine, newspapers, as I say, USA Today, published this article a few days ago that one of the more common flea and tick collars called Ceresto, which we do have in Hong Kong, has been reported to be involved in some pet deaths. Oh dear. Um, now, I guess to put this in perspective, Seresto has been sold for 10 years um, and they've sold over 15 million collars. Right. Um, the, the, the number of reported possible deaths with this is about 1,500, 1,700 dogs. So uh, don't get me wrong, one dog is far too many and, and we have to be very, very careful. To be, yeah, but it's not like the stuff is highly toxic. Um, or anything like that. What about, EPA, this, what about this article? I mean, you've obviously read it. <clears throat> what about the language that's used, etc.? Do you approve or otherwise? The, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of, I'm old enough now to have remembered three or four cycles where like a, a flea medicine has got into the papers or got into the, the, the media about sort of being dangerous for pets. Um, and this seems to come up every so often. I think it probably is a great thing to sell newspapers. Um, and I, I do want to be careful here because I don't want to ever suggest it's okay to take a risk. No, 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 product. but pet owners are so reactive and I, you know, can't blame them, really. 
But I'd also say, and I don't know the numbers on this, but I'd say out of 15 million doses of penicillin or aspirin given, I'm sure people have also had adverse effects to that. So that guess- doesn't help, though, when, you know, your furry friend keels over. But yes, I understand what you're saying. Look, absolutely. And I guess the other way I'd talk to people about this is to say, every week I see dogs with tick fever who haven't had tick prevention, who are now either getting sort of really heavy duty treatment or, you know, if they're not treated, they'll be probably not going to make it. So mm. the things we're preventing are a definite, you know, well-known present danger in Hong Kong, much higher risk than using flea, flea medicine. Okay. Okay. Now, I mean, obviously, the, this is an American news article. It's an American thing. The rules there are very, very stringent, aren't they? Are they more well, so yeah. than here? Look, uh, to my understanding, Hong Kong follows the FDA fairly closely, and sort of things that the FDA says are okay, Hong Kong sort of assumes are probably okay as well. Yeah. The American authorities up to now haven't made any kind of product recalls or any, um, you know. They haven't changed anything. They're sort of investigating, but they're saying at the moment we don't think there's a safety problem there. Um, Mm. And and it should be clear, the medicine that's in this flea stuff is in a whole lot of different flea products, so it's not like it's... um it's not like it's a, a, an unusually toxic. Well, that's the logic, David, and it's very sound. But this company, as you said, they're very well known, um, and the, the the parent company is massively well known. What do they have to do now? They need to do some serious band aiding on their on their brand, don't they? Look, absolutely, and and you know, I've gone on and said all these things about how important flea medicine is and how you should be using a new pet and so forth. I guess to put my entirely well, my slightly cynical hat on, apparently also the revenues from this fleet product are about 300 million US dollars. No, no kidding, so that's what a, I'm saying. It's, it's a, up there, isn't it? It's a big, big product for them, and I think they um, they want to make sure it's safe, if you know what I mean. Okay, then. Uh, one more thing I wanted to ask you about. We were reading last week, although we didn't get a chance to chat about it. Uh, what was the article about where dogs come from or something like that? Do you remember that one? <laughs> yeah, so that was actually an article that you sent me, which was about... Uh, the Americans have, have decided that all dogs started off coming from America, which is not entirely true. <laughs> I um, thought they got breeded, bred rather, <laughs> breeded. They got bred actually, seriously in America. Dogs, they, they came to, now, dogs, came, dogs came to North America with earliest humans, a study finds. That's it. And, and look, I guess in fairness to the article, it's, it's not saying that America's where dogs started off. What is sort of, this article more describes the first dogs coming to the US with, with early, you know, um, nomadic people and so forth. However, if you look at the bigger picture, this was, from my memory, the article was talking sort of 10 or 15,000 years ago. If you look at the bigger picture, we actually think, based on DNA studies, that dogs probably originated in Southeast Asia about 30,000 years ago. Um, so I, I'm going to claim that, that we have credit for the first dogs and humans being, you know, cohabiting space and being domesticated and, and, and this kind of stuff as well. And, and actually, this is really interesting. So you have the, the Hong Kong dog, you know, the village dog. Yeah. And this really is the archetypal original kind of dog that came out. If you look sideways at a Hong Kong, you can sort of see the thousands of year old wolf in it or something like that, you know. Well, exactly. So this is what <laughs> happens is, is, is many, uh, many hundreds of thousands of years ago, we had sort of the, 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 the original canid, you might say, and one way split off made wolves, one way split off made dogs. And those sort of got more and more domesticated in Southeast Asia. Yeah. They went down to Australasia and they formed the dingo. Um, and then they went up north and got carried by traders around the world. And that's where they think, you know, this is where, how they think the sort of dog spread originally. Just, just flicking down this article, there's an interesting bit at the, at the bottom about their diet. Um, and it says a carbon isotope analysis of the bone fragment showed that the ancient southeast Alaskan dog likely had a marine diet that consisted of fish and seal and whale scraps. 
well, I'm going to say if you're if you're sort of scrounging scraps from the local from the local villages and they're on the coast, that's what you're going to be eating, right? You're going to eat whatever you, comes your way. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose so. You never think people always think of cats as having a, a marine diet. But this is the other interesting thing: is I see people doing these um, DNA tests on their dogs. So you know, you can you can get your dog, and see where especially you get from. it from. Yeah. yeah, you get you get him from a shelter, and you wonder what he's really made of, and you can you can get these kits in the in the you know um, over the internet where you do like a cheek swab and send it off and tells you what your dog is, and they always I see people with Hong Kong dogs who do these swabs and they find out their dog is you know ten percent Irish Wolfhound <laughs> and six percent Chihuahua and this kind of stuff, and, and you kind of say to them, look, actually your dog didn't come from the Wolfhound, the Wolfhound came from you, if that makes sense. So that's why we're seeing these tests get 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 the horse before the cart. Well, the cat before the horse. Right. I mean, you've mentioned wolfhound. You could have mentioned any breed there. But these are things that very, very often humans have created, well, manipulated, haven't they? Ah, look, absolutely. And, and you had these, I mean, I guess the way it happened is you had these Asian village dogs and people found ones that they liked were more friendly or were more of a certain characteristic and they kept those ones and so those ones bred and that's how you, that's how, they, how you had the original breeds forming. And of course, it's become much more... What say scientific these days, or a passion for people where they want dogs who only have wrinkly skin or only have yeah, flat faces. Yeah, we know um, about that. But but originally breeding was kind of a form of evolution, you know, as they got better to work with. Uh, so the so they were bred to do jobs better, and then along came the twentieth century, or maybe a little bit before, and we we bred them to look cute and fluffy and stuff. <laughs> well, this is it, right? Because they 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 think that the original dogs were kind of. You know, there's a human settlement and the people are, are throwing away the scraps and the dogs just, dogs have always been a bit of a chancer and the dog sort of comes by and sees the scraps and, and sort of, <laughs> yeah, exactly, and stays there. And over time, that relationship got stronger and stronger and then the, the people realised the dogs could actually be useful for, you know, being a guardian of the village or going out hunting or whatever like that. And that's how the relationship formed. It was sort of a, a chance thing that worked for both parties. Lovely. Well, thanks very much. Font of knowledge, as always. We'll catch up next week. Dr. David Gething, take care for now. Bye-bye. Thanks, Phil. Take care, everybody.